It takes more than going through all the matplotlib code samples to find the one you need for a presentation to be a great data scientist. This is Soft Skills Engineering, episode 240. I'm your host, Dave Smith. I'm your host, Jameson Dance. Soft Skills Engineering is a weekly advice podcast for software developers and data scientists about the non-technical aspects of data science and software engineering. We're diversifying. We're expanding our brand tent. What if we just add everyone? It's for (laughs) hunter gatherers. (laughs) Luthiers. Is that how you say that word? What? Those people who make instruments. Is that how you say the word? I don't even know the word, so I couldn't tell you how to say it. Time for Jameson mispronounces words, the regular section of the podcast. Yeah, it's a special. We actually have a spinoff sister show that many (laughs) people don't know about where Jameson just mispronounces everything. Luthier. I was not even close. How do you spell this alleged word? L U T H I E R. Okay, and how do you and how how do you pronounce it? The luthier is what Google says. Okay, maybe this is just like machine learning from the ignorant masses, but <laughs> yeah, it's crowdsourced, so it has to be right. Yeah, I mean, if it's a pronunciation and it's crowdsourced, then by definition, it's right. Oh, I'll die on that literally versus figuratively hill, <laughs> or comprised versus composed. Yes. Oh my gosh. My Put kingdom. It on my gravestone. My kingdom yeah. for a sentence that uses comprise correctly. Yeah. <laughs> on my gravestone, it will just say, but everybody was wrong. It'll say, my life was comprised of many. My, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> many painful moments in grammar. That would be the ultimate own if you wanted to just. <laughs> destroy me after death it would actually no it would say yeah so you'd want it to be wrong on your gravestone right like to absolutely yeah, exactly. troll you so it'd be like my life comprised many painful grammar moments <laughs> yeah <laughs> i hope i didn't just make myself look stupid by using it wrong it, <laughs> unintentionally in incorrectly <laughs> impossible okay I'm going to read our patrons. Thank you to these wonderful people who support the show at the level where we shout them out every single episode. Thank you to Roman Denisov, FizzBuzz Influencer, Code Lemur, Christian Polanco, Oladapo Fade, Kiaren Sveinsen, Ragnar Hardison, Nick Hathaway, Travis Sanders, Dennis Bogdanov, Braden Kane, Stephen Armandley, John Grant, Chris Hogan, The Agile Ventures Charity, Nick Cantar, and Philip John Basile. Thank you so much to all you wonderful people. And if you want to join this group of certified good humans. Yeah. This is all it takes. Nothing about being nice to other people or <laughs> serving or you can buy your a way positive impact on into the world. Yeah. In, indulgences is, is where it's at. Baby. Yes. You can go to softskills.audio and click support us on Patreon. And then we will give you an invite to our Slack team full of also other good people. People who can afford to be good. Right. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Oh my gosh. (sighs) Yeah, thank you so much. We really appreciate it. It keeps the show going. We have a listener story. Yes, I want to read that story. This comes from someone whose name I don't know, and that's okay. They write, Hi folks, I wish I had a question, but instead I have a story. I wanted to thank you two for the podcast. Your advice has been so useful for learning how to evaluate soft skill situations, that's in quotes, and make decisions based on my own circumstances. Now, for my own story. Last May, I found myself disillusioned with my previous employer, a small but mature startup. I had disagreements with the trajectory of the company and some key staff had left, leaving me to contemplate my future at the company. After weighing my own stress, employability, and savings account balance, I gave my two weeks. I didn't have another job lined up. It was the peak of the spring shutdowns due to the spread of COVID-19, and I was now totally unemployed. 
Here's where you two come in. I had knowledge and confidence to calmly figure out the next step in my career and make some hard decisions. I nailed the interviews and ended up with a hard choice at the end of it. Take boatloads of money and stock options from an extremely hot Silicon Valley startup working on amazing technology, or take a pay cut to work at a local university supporting scientists working on renewable energy. I ended up taking the local, boring, lower-paying university work, and I couldn't be happier. All of your advice over the years gave me a solid framework to evaluate these decisions, and I wanted to thank you for it. I'm so glad. So glad it worked out. I don't know. This I mean, sounds I, a, I, oh, I'm sure. Are you, I guess, saying it didn't? <laughs> well, my question is, what podcast were you listening to? Because I would have said, take the money. Really? No, I'm just kidding. I don't know. <laughs> it's the Christmas season. This sounds like a, a modern reboot of It's a Wonderful Life. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> You're practically Jimmy Stewart. Yep, exactly. I'm, I'm glad that worked out. I'm glad that you were able to glean something helpful from this. And I'm glad that you learned from my admirable example of just up and quitting your job and then saying, what do I do now? Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad that worked out for you. I'm, I'm happy. Sounds like you're in a good spot. It is a dangerous trajectory, though. I just want to be clear. Like, Jameson does not usually go on the record saying you should do it that way. Yeah, but people pay more money to watch trapeze artists without a net. That's you know? true. <laughs> That's where the real thrill is. That's true. The thrill. The danger is higher. But I usually pay more money to see other people risking their lives, not my own self. So... <laughs> yeah whatever That's, well i don't i don't go base jumping i don't go off big jumps on my snowboard anymore i do quit my job and then figure out what i do next that's <laughs> <laughs> that's where i get my risk from okay um i'm gonna read our first question yep this is from an anonymous listener i became a software engineer four years ago after graduating from a boot camp i then worked a few software jobs in middle america about a year and a half ago i got a job in a well-known tech startup and moved to a big city with a heavy software and tech presence before i moved i suspected i was good at software engineering and after working in this tech startup in the big leagues in air quotes or word quotes typed quotes yeah, <laughs> they're not made out of air yeah <laughs> <laughs> I confirmed my suspicion by quickly becoming the go-to engineer for the team. I just finished a project that delivered a major tech component of our core system and received lots of kudos. Because of this, I suspect I was mishired for my current level. This is the first job where I can compare myself with more than 10 software engineer peers, and evidently I am above average. I used to tell myself I was not that good because I didn't work at a quote, real tech company. I'm pretty certain I will get promoted in the, ne in the next cycle, but how can I land my compensation to be above average in the pay band as well? Should I share my feeling that I was mishired in my current position? This is a great question. Why? Well, I'm just reading back over it here, and I, I love the perspective that moving around gives you. There's nothing like working with lots of other engineers to really nail down where your performance level is, you know? Yeah. That's great. I think it's I think it's great perspective. So, yeah. Yeah, it's a good point. This is a this is like an indirect pitch for the benefits of seeing different stuff. It's like yeah, you can't. You can only. Hmm. I don't think I'm gonna land this analogy. I'm gonna pull back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Never mind. There, there. Like you can't just look at yourself and in a vacuum and recognize what you're good at. You you see it by comparing it against other people. Yeah, that that was a pretty good comment. But now I want to hear the analogy. I don't. <laughs> I think I was going to like make up some physics thing about like particles or photons or I don't know. So, something about like you don't perceive 
it's not worth the air I will use to <laughs> say it. Like Heisenberg or something? I don't know what. Relati- relativity? No, it was going to make less sense than that. <laughs> it was okay. worse than that. <laughs> Anyways. Yeah. So now now you know a little bit more because you've seen more. Yes. And not only do you know more about how to do your job, you know about how that compares to other people. How can I land my compensation to be above average in the pay band as well? It will probably not happen if you don't say anything about it. Well, well, that's fair. <laughs> Especially if you feel like you're... Well, no, I mean, uh, there's always, almost always a pay bump with a promotion. Yep. But very often it's like a fixed percentage. And there's also a thing I've seen before where there's sort of an expectation that if you are newly promoted to a role, you'll be sort of in the in the bottom half of the pay band yes for that role where it just feels weird to promote you and then say and you also make more than other people who have been in this role for a while right not only not only did we just barely promote you into the role but you're better than everyone else here congratulations yeah so i think you're right in in identifying that this probably isn't going to happen if you don't do anything i think what this listener has just stumbled is about to stumble into is that the difference between pay flexibility at a startup and a mega tech company? And the answer is, there's a lot of difference. And in my experience, and here's something cool. James and I have both worked at huge tech companies. And therefore, we know everything about huge tech companies. So that's good. <laughs> yep. That's pretty easy, it turns yeah. out, <laughs> to know everything. <laughs> but the... The fact is that I'm pretty confident in saying that there are fixed pay bands and when you move, when you join a tech company, a huge tech company, frankly, any big company, the tech companies, I don't think are all that different from other non-tech huge companies. But when you join these companies, you get into a pay band based on your level. And usually, you know, if you want to make substantially more money, you have to move to the next level on the promotion ladder. And as Jameson said, you're almost always locked in by HR to the lower half of that pay band. And depending on the company, it might actually be very hard to get up to the top of that pay band. Because now you have to demonstrate skills that... So it's, it's actually more than just demonstrating skills, but you do have to demonstrate skills that are commensurate with the upper half of that pay band. But also, there might just be artificial limitations where they say, no, in your first year, you just cannot, by policy. Sorry. So the answer is you can't. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds like <laughs> I mean there's there's a principle with anything about compensation which is that nothing happens if you don't make your company aware of what you want to have happen. I feel like I see this with raises sometimes or with promotions or it's it's very very rare that the company will just kind of wave a magic wand and bestow out of the goodness of its heart extra money on people. Mm-hmm. and they need to be incentivized to do that. One of the best incentives is to be someone they want to hire, and yep. that incentive is now gone. So you have some kind of <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> experience for future you. It would be way easier to get this pay bump if you're trying to be hired into this position instead of yeah. moving up into it from inside the company. That depends on the company, though. That I mean, it, sometimes it's actually really hard to get hired into the higher levels. And I know one particular tech company that I may or may not have worked for that just loved to downlevel people in their interview process because it de-risked the hire. And yeah, that was very, very common. 
Um, and then they would, it was up to the engineer then once they joined to work themselves up to the next level, which usually takes a couple of years. Yeah. But I think still in general, it's much easier to negotiate when you're, yeah. when the thing you're bringing to the table is I will join your company instead of, I will quit your company if you don't, or I will be put out if you don't do this thing yeah. when they're already getting, getting stuff from you. For, for sure. Yeah. Share my feeling that I was mishired in my current position. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the thing you want to provide is a strong case for why you are worth that much money. And the answer, the response you might get, you could get might be, you're not <laughs> like <laughs> maybe because of the timeline stuff that Dave was saying, there could be things around other people's compensation that it needs to line up with that, that there, there's a whole bunch of stuff beyond how good you are, but you need to provide as much information you can about why you are just going to be worth so much more than they're currently paying you Yeah, to your manager to help them make the case up. So if you want to make up for being underleveled or underpaid when you're first hired by a promotion, it will have to be something different than the normal promotion process because it's it's likely that a promotion will have a percentage increase based on what you were making before. So if you were underpaid in your previous level, you might still be underpaid in this next level from, oh, really? from your perspective. I think huh. so, yeah. I mean, that's not how it worked at my previous Megatech Co. So, I mean, the bands are pretty wide. There's room to be underpaid at many levels. <laughs> oh, I see. So, you, so you're saying that even though you moved up to the next pay band, you're probably going to occupy the same quartile within that pay band that you occupied in the previous one. I think so. I think it's possible. Those feel like two separate problems to me. Oh, go ahead. In my company, every time you were moved up to the next level, you were dumped into the lower quartile of the next level, regardless of where you came from in the previous level. Interesting. Well, I guess I was wrong when I said I knew all there was to know about big companies. <laughs> or I was. Now I know all there is to know. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> After Dave filled in that one missing fact. That was it. That was the only piece. <laughs> um, let me, I actually, I actually, but even though I just corrected you in front of all the, all seven of these listeners, and that probably hurt your feelings a little, I, let me just make up for that by saying that I agree with you and I want to add one addendum, which is that when you make the case to your manager or HR or whomever that you are ready for promotion and want to get more money, the case needs to be made in the language that aligns with the company's promotion criteria. One thing that I learned moving from startup land to mega huge tech company is that there are very well-defined words that must be used when you are applying for promotion and the assessment process for determining if you are worthy of a promotion are very much couched in that vocabulary. And so your submission needs to also be written in that vocabulary so that you can check all the boxes the way they need to be checked. So it's important to do investigative journalism first. We're sort of mixing up two different things and just focusing on the promotion side though. It's not just, I mean, they think they're already going to get promoted. They oh, yeah. just want to be promoted and get bumped up to higher right it sounds right, like they right. feel like they they're sort of operating above the average at the next level up oh, and want to be yeah, paid right. related to that i should probably pay more attention when i read things <laughs> i read this one so that's why you didn't pay oh attention. right of course i was just looking at looking at the, <laughs> the sheetrock in my office so, yep. so interesting <laughs> patterns <laughs> Yeah, so this is this is like doing two hard things at once, which is getting a raise and getting promoted. 
you're already going to get a raise as part of getting promoted, but you want to get another raise yes. on top of that. So Okay, so there is, I have one more technique to, to propose for ensuring that you maximize the raise when you get the promotion. And that is that it's kind of a slime ball move, and I don't actually recommend it, but depending on your level of comfort, you might be okay with this. And I'll, I'll share this by telling a story. About, I don't know, well over 10 years ago, I was at a company that I loved and wanted to keep working there. And I, but I felt like I was underpaid. So I asked for a 20% raise, which was a lot for this company. And they came back and told me, sorry, we are capping you at like 7%. And we just cannot go higher than that. And I'm sorry, but you know, we'll do our best. And next year we'll, you know, we'll try to do another good one, another one at seven. And, and, you know, eventually you'll get up there. And so as luck would have it, another job opportunity came along and I decided to take it. And when I went back to my manager and said, Hey, I decided to go to this other company. My manager said, okay, pause that, pump the brakes. Let me go talk to HR. I'll be right back. I'll talk to you tomorrow. So he talked to HR and came back the next day and said, we'd like to offer you a 24% raise. (laughs) And I was like, well, I guess there's always an exception to the rule. Yeah. And this happens a lot in companies where they, they kind of anchor their value of people based on what they come in making or capable of. And it's really hard for a company to reset and say, what would we pay this person if we were hiring them? Right. Like, and, and we, we knew what we know about their skills now, what would we pay them? And sometimes that number is pretty different. And a counteroffer is a good way to, well, I don't know if good is the right word. It's, it's a pretty high stakes way to force the company to try and make that evaluation because you're, you're effectively saying, this is what someone else will pay me right now. Like, can you, can you match that value? Yeah, I, I've waffled a little bit. I think I'm less negative about counteroffers if you have some intention of pursuing them than, than you are. It is really expensive to switch jobs too. So it makes it, it's, it's an expensive form of leverage to exercise because you have to upend your life to, to, to do it basically. Yeah. But that is, I, I mean, I think the underlying goal that you are trying to accomplish is make the company evaluate you where you are right now instead of based on the context. And there might be another way to do that besides just get an offer from someone else. You could have the old salary swap data that you get from talking to peers or from peers mm-hmm. in the industry, not necessarily at the same company mm-hmm. or the, the, all those sources of anonymous data that are out there of, of salaries. Yeah. And that might be a lower stakes way of saying, here's, here's where other people with comparable value get paid. Can you match that so that I feel valued here instead of saying here's how much this other company will pay me to leave right now with the kind of the high stakes that that brings yeah yeah and it can be a slime ball move especially if you never intended to actually go join that other company you just were willing to go waste their time to collect that data point i feel like there's two more things i want to say about this and then i've burned up all the wisdom that i have if there ever was any so the, the two things i want to say is number one be specific if there's a number you want say it it's often uncomfortable for engineers to bring up salary discussions with their managers, but I got to tell you, it's not uncomfortable at all for your manager. This is what they are paid to do. So be willing to be specific and say, I want this number. Absolutely. That's number one. Number two is do it a lot earlier than you think. These things are often set in motion six months, 12 months before they are made known to you. And so it could be that there's some spreadsheet already sitting somewhere in some HR file that has your number on it for next year. And if you wait until yeah. two weeks before you're going to get your promotion, it, that is like six months too late. 
Start now. And your manager, if your manager is wise, will probably say to you, okay, to get that number, you need to reach the following objectives. You know, here's three things you need to achieve this year to, to make that. And that would be the sign of a great manager, yep. but also that you'll need time to do those things. So plenty of time needed. Yeah, that's a good point. It is really hard for a manager to say, you have asked for this and the answer is yes right now. And I'm just thinking from my own personal experience, it's it's really true that it takes a while to get their machinery in motion. Right. And there's there's a point at which it's not worth it. <laughs> like if if you're demanding a raise with a date with an ultimatum, it's probably gonna require like a phone call with the CEO who is up on their mountaintop. You know, you'd have to do yeah. something extraordinary to make it happen as a manager that you possibly cannot do. And so that means the answer is no, right? It's not just, I mean, you have to work around the constraints that exist and those constraints are worsened by tight timelines. Yeah, for sure. I think I just said the thing you said, but longer. All right, that means it's time to move on to the next question. <laughs> Great job. Do you want to read it, Dave? Sure. This one comes from a listener named Eric who says, how do I push back the work I do not really want to do while still being a team player? My manager assigned me a project that I do not I really do not want to work on. And when I try to push back, he said he finds me to be the best person that suits this project. I ended up doing it since I want to be a team player, but I don't believe it will benefit me in the long term in this team. How can I push back to my manager in the future for occasions like this? Thanks for your podcast. It has been very amazing. Well, thank you, Eric. Why, thank you. How do I push back? Do a really terrible job <laughs> at anything <laughs> that you don't want to do. <laughs> sort of joking but i have seen this done in practice <laughs> that is the passive aggressive path to victory yeah and it is a tactical victory and a strategic loss right <laughs> <laughs> it turns out the person i saw do this did not get that work anymore and then eventually they didn't get any work anymore oh fired no they were it was a joint decision so fired <laughs> They were encouraged to go get a different job. Okay. And then they did. So they didn't push back on that one. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's a very harsh example. But yeah, there's there's a balance here of, of you wanting to be fulfilled by the work that you do and you wanting to do things that are valuable to the team. Right. And your manager has a list of stuff that they want done or someone does if it's not your manager and, and presumably this is on that list or you're being punished. <laughs> i hope not yeah we really need someone to like muck out the stable in the data center <laughs> the it's horses powered been in by there. horses <laughs> yeah. yeah they run on this wheel <laughs> but you know horses poop and someone's got to remove it yeah it's yep we need someone to crawl through the vents <laughs> clean out the rats in the data center <laughs> uh, i mean we call this maintenance <laughs> <laughs> this is called site reliability engineering that's right <laughs> you're shimmying through vents with a knife between your teeth <laughs> killing covered rats. in rat blood <laughs> yep <laughs> site reliability engineering oh my god <laughs> what do you do i'm an sre oh how many rats did you is kill it this a metaphor <laughs> who knows <laughs> oh my goodness yeah, I don't believe it will benefit me in the long term. 
in the team. I mean, that work exists lots of times. There's there's like yeah. important work that is not going to grow your career. Often that's a sign of drudgery or toil. Mm-hmm. And there could be some way that you can turn that into work that will benefit you by trying to automate it or remove the need to do that work. And people are generally, in my experience, they've been fairly aware of toil that requires someone to kind of suffer and are super happy, even if they're not directly affected when that work goes away. So if you can turn it into higher value work or more beneficial work, that might be a good way to accomplish your goal and still do this important thing for the team. Yeah. Like get a Roomba for the stable in the data center. Right. <laughs> automate that job. And then, yes, and automate the smearing of poop. I think I think part of this skill is there's like a there's a prerequisite here. The question was how do I push back? But I think the prerequisite here is developing the judgment to know when it's the right thing to push back and when it's the right thing to just do the work. Because it turns out not all the work that software engineers do is glamorous and good and and fun. You know, and there's yeah. some of it that's just necessary. Yeah. I work with a developer who spent a significant portion of their year doing stuff they really did not like. <laughs> and it was incredibly valuable to the team. And they suffered through it. And I'm really grateful and made sure to to recognize them for it. But I also tried to make it clear that this was sort of an extraordinary circumstance and it, it shouldn't, this shouldn't become a regular thing that happens. Mm-hmm. So I think one thing you could do is try to find out, is this a, are you, are you filling in for something that would normally be done in some other way? Or is this, are you becoming the go-to person for mucking out stables? Like you do it once and you didn't quit. So yeah, exactly. <laughs> you must really enjoy it because those are two different problems to have. Another thing you could do is is you could solve this positively. So one way is to um, push back on things you don't want to do. Another thing you could do is fill up your manager's head with other stuff that you like to do more that you're the go-to person for. Ah. So if you have this very clear area of responsibility, like you train the horses to ride in the wheel that generates the electricity for the data center, then you'll be busy with that. You won't have time to scoop the poop. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. I mean... I could go scoop the poop, but I've got all these horses to train. Yeah, who's going to train these horses? We don't want to. <laughs> we don't want U.S. East to go down, right? <laughs> so you're saying make yourself indispensable on a task that you'd like to do. Yeah. By starving out information so no one else knows how to do it, and then you can no. never be taken off that task. <laughs> no, no. Do it in the in the positive way. You create value somewhere so that it's worth more to the company to keep you on that valuable thing than to pull you off onto this other thing you don't want to do. I think Eric needs to hire a couple of interns who can just be standing by. You know, when they're not fetching you coffee, Eric can say, oh, hey, project manager, you want someone to do that task? Well, I just happen to have this intern ready to go. Isn't that like Fiverr? <laughs> I don't know what like that the is. the gig economy? Oh, yeah. That's where you can hire someone to do a thing i think that's that's its business model so it's like uber for software tasks for i don't want to do <laughs> no it's not for software it's for i think it's for anything it's like go find me paper with this specific stock and buy it and ship it here huh. or or um, assassinate design this, this poster or yeah yeah <laughs> assassinate this head of state <laughs> yeah <laughs> i'm sure that exists somewhere <laughs> yeah 
solve the hunger crisis in this country. (laughs) I'll pay you $1 trillion if you will eliminate poverty. There's got to be an opportunity there for the gig economy applied to corporations where there yeah. it's it's like an internal marketplace for somebody that that knows how to talk to the right person at your job. Right, right. It's like but it's all within your company. Exactly. Yeah, it's it's like the giant fang company specific one. It's the Google specific internal fiber it's like i will pay 25 dollars if someone will share with me the email address of the decision maker who can change this permission for me (laughs) exactly it's like oh it's the easiest 25 bucks i ever made you both win (laughs) nothing could ever go wrong (laughs) okay (laughs) okay so (laughs) so So, we solved that problem (laughs) it's clear that capitalism is the solution right even more capitalism, nested right. <laughs> Russian doll capitalism. The problem with capitalism is if it doesn't solve your problem, you're just not using enough of it. Yeah. You need a market inside of the company that is operating in the market. <laughs> it's just markets all the way down. Yep. So, all right. So how do you actually push back on a project manager? Have you ever done this? Oh, have I? I don't know. I say yes so much that you'd think the nose would stick out more. Yeah. You suppress those memories. <laughs> I think I've done it with some delicate judo of of like the bus is coming straight towards me i flip out of the way and as i flip grab some innocent bystander and fling them in front of the bus <laughs> i think i've i've suggested other people before yeah no 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 that that person's no good it's it's got to be you it's got to be you jameson i think i've done the opposite more though honestly where there's something that people don't want to do and i do it even though it kind of sucks oh you're the one getting flung in front of the bus and you're like okay no, I'm like flinging myself in front of the bus. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, no, don't get that. Don't let that bus hit you. Let it hit me. It's just a bus driving on the road and I like sprint up beside it. Like, Gotta get in front of it. And then I just dive under the wheels. <laughs> you were behind it. Like, Somehow you get in front of it. <laughs> what on earth? <laughs> Why am I always so this bruised? bus driver's life. <laughs> yeah, so I don't, I don't, I'm not good enough at saying no to do this. So that's a positive quality that you have. I, oh, I do. You think I have this? No, the Eric. I don't know if you. Have oh, Eric. It. Okay. Do you? Yeah. I think I. I think I have developed the ability to diplomatically say no to things by putting. So here's how I do it. I bundle agreements into it. So I say things like, "I will do this, but in exchange for doing this, I need your commitment that we will invest in X, Y, and Z technology that will make this unnecessary within three months, or." that we will hire someone within six months to do this. I will do it this time, but I need your commitment that we will do X. And that actually puts the project manager, product manager's skin in the game a little bit. So now they have to be part of the solution and they're clear about what you want. Interesting. I really like that. It's kind of the equivalent to the technique where someone in general comes and asks you to do something if you're already busy. You say like, yes, here's what it will cost you to, to add this feature to this project. Like, right. Tell me, tell me what to not do instead. Instead, you're saying, here's what, here's what you need to do to make it. Right. And I like to, oh, I'm going to say the word couch for the second time this episode, which is kind of weird. <laughs> I like to couch. Couch is a place you sit, Dave. I don't even know what you're talking about. <laughs> I like to couch those terms, those addenda. That's my second time saying addendum as well. To, I, I like to couch the agreements, like the follow-up agreements in terms of benefit to the company. So I can say things like, Having me do this is expensive or is wasteful because X, Y, and Z reasons. 
And if we continue to do this, it will cost us unnecessarily. And we could do this more efficiently by having this. So to that end, I would like to, I would like your commitment that we will do that within six months or three months or whatever it is. Oh, it's brilliant. If you turn every request you don't like into like a one year long project to solve the root cause, <laughs> these will just dry up. That's right. <laughs> They'll find someone else who doesn't have contingencies associated with their request. We need to request. form a task force to attack this at the at the root to yes. solve the underlying problems here <laughs> first let's start with our values <laughs> yes so you're just bogging them down in follow-up commitments yep. <gasps> dave instead of listening i clicked a button in google and i have data hit me this other page in google says luthier is pronounced <laughs> luthier <laughs> if i just google luthier and click the word it says luthier but then if I click learn to pronounce underneath it and click this, the icon to play the sound, it says Luthier. Do you like how the story arc of this episode has just so naturally come full circle back to where we started? That's the hero's journey, baby. <laughs> <laughs> what an artist. I mean, what an artist. Yeah, I'm sorry I wasn't listening, but was instead wallowing in my inability to even find out which way I pronounced this word wrong. Because I know I did it wrong. I said it both of these ways. They can't both be right. Or can they? Tomato, tomato. Yeah, it's a new dialect. Whichever one is wrong is actually correct in Jameson English. That's right. Well, it's, while you weren't listening to what I said, I was wrapping up my final comments. I have nothing more to add. <laughs> I just really endorse what you said wholeheartedly. Yeah. <laughs> and agree with a lot of the good points that you made <laughs> thank you <laughs> where can people go if they too would like to hear some of the good points that i make oh so many good points were made <laughs> yeah you can go to softskills.audio click ask a question and it will take you to a wait did you ask how they ask questions or how they hear the show i, I don't I'm remember still lost about pronunciation I, I, <laughs> whatever i asked what i wanted you to say was what you were about to say so let's go okay. with that. <laughs> yeah. Click ask a question and then you can do that thing that you just clicked. Nice. You can ask a question and then we'll answer it. Thank you so much to the people that send in questions. Thanks for the stories too. We appreciate yeah. hearing how things do or don't work out based on what we talk about on the show. And thank you for listening. Yes. Thank you. All right. We'll catch you next week. Bye.